Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 102, Apple Cash Influence. I am Neil. It's good to be back. Taking a look at the calendar, it looks like the next few weeks are going to return to a normal schedule. So that's always a good thing. Today's episode is going to have a financial tone to it. We're going to talk about Apple stock. More specifically, we're going to look at how I think Wall Street is beginning to think about Apple in a new way. I think the iPhone's influence over Apple stock is subsiding on Wall Street. The best place to begin today's episode is to actually look at Apple's stock price performance. For a company the size of Apple, we're talking more than a $700 billion market cap company, Apple's stock price actually fluctuates quite a bit. What I've done is gone back over the past five years, and I took a look at stock price, market cap, enterprise value. All of this went into this week's article over at AboveAvalon.com. There are a couple exhibits that go over this data if you're interested. The reason I picked five years, so going back to 2012, is that is when Apple's capital management program really got going. I could have gone back further, could have gone 10 years, even further, but I didn't think it was as valuable as the change that really occurred more recently, since 2012. And so when you look at Apple's stock performance since 2012, a couple things become very apparent. The first is that this is a stock that has experienced very distinct stretches of underperformance and outperformance. And what's so interesting is when you take a closer look at some of these stretches, it's not that Apple sort of goes down and then kind of stays down and goes up a little bit, goes back down. It's actually pretty consistent. When it's in a downtrend, things are pretty negative and it stays negative. Sure, you have your stretch of up days. You may have an increase here or there. But for the most part, it really is amazing when you take a look at it in a chart how things just become very apparent. And what I did was I took a look at five years of stock price performance, and I broke it out into what I think are four distinct eras. The first is what I would call the Samsung competitive fair era. This is the 2012 to 2013 period. And I think this era is best symbolized by those Samsung commercials that were mocking Apple users for waiting in line to buy the iPhones. I think many of you probably are familiar or at least remember those commercials. The story from that era was that the market was beginning to move towards larger smartphone screens. So here in the US, it began pretty slowly and it was around 2012, 2013. Yes, in Asia, the trend occurred much sooner and a little bit more rapidly than the US and even in Europe. So the market was beginning to man larger screens and Samsung was running fast to fill that need. You had Apple, what I think was maybe a year or two late to that large screen movement. At the end of the day, does it really matter if they were late? Probably not. But this gave Samsung at least some room to really go after Apple. And I think to a certain degree, they were successful. I think you had Apple executives kind of caught off guard here. At the same time, this was an Apple that was still trying to find its message when it comes to marketing and when it comes to ads. I don't think that period, 2012, 2013, will be remembered too well from an Apple ad perspective. 
So during this time, Apple shares, they dropped nearly 45%. There were fears that the iPhone was going to lose to Android. Lower iPhone average selling price and lower margin would take over. Obviously, that did not happen. But back in 2012, 2013, I think this was a genuine fear that was starting to occur across Wall Street. So again, a 45% drop, that's a pretty big deal for a company that was of Apple's size. The next era was characterized by large screen iPhones. So there was a lot of pent-up demand for that iPhone 6, iPhone 6 Plus. At the same time, Apple launched the iPhone at China Mobile. This is a very big deal. China Mobile was the last remaining large carrier that up to then did not sell the iPhone officially. So it was a very big deal. Sales saw a huge boost. We had quarterly shipment growth up as high as 46% in late 2014. That's a big deal. A lot of times you see these hardware companies nowadays, they go around and they say, sales are up five times from last year. Amazon's out saying, Echo sales were up something like five or seven times from last year. And that sounds very impressive. But what's happening is they are using such a small sales base from the previous year that it sounds impressive, but when you actually take a look at the numbers, it's not as impressive. But for Apple to grow the iPhone business almost 50% in 2014, that's a big deal because the iPhone business was already large before that point. During this period, Apple stock increased more than 130%. So more than doubled. We then entered a new era, and this one was pretty recently. I think a lot of people probably remember this very well. We had the iPhone business registering its first sales decline. So this is after excitement around the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. That subsided. iPhone warning signs were beginning to appear. We've talked about this in the past, where it seemed like it was becoming harder to find growth. China Mobile, it's in the rear of mirror. Apple tapped into that base of premium users. There's no other China mobile left. And so from this point forward, where do you find growth? It's still out there, don't get me wrong, but you're going to have to do a little bit harder. You're going to have to find additional pockets. You're increasingly going to have to switch people over from Android. You're going to have to switch the remaining feature phone users over to an iPhone to be their first smartphone. You have to focus on developing markets like India. So there's growth potential, but it's a lot harder to come by. During this stretch, Apple shares fell about 30%, and they bottomed right around May 2016 or so. So I think the fears were probably at their height in early 2016. Once we started to get into the summer months, it seemed like right around WWDC 2016, things started to feel a little bit different. It felt like the iPhone business was not imploding. Instead, it was finding a new kind of normal. So since mid-2016, Apple shares are now up nearly 70%. And for a company that has a market cap of more than $700 billion, that's a very big move. It's surprising. I would go so far as to say shocking. You would not think that a company valued like Apple can actually see such a significant move in just a year. So those were the four primary eras 
for the last five years of Apple stock. And if you take a closer look, three of them, I think, were pretty directly related to the iPhone business. But this most recent era, when we have Apple shares up 70%, it seems like something new is going on. Something different is happening. I don't think the iPhone itself is really driving all of this. The reason that I'm skeptical is when you take a look at the possible explanation being put forth as to why Apple stock is doing so well, it seems like there's two reasons given, or maybe I should say two possible reasons. The first is Apple services, and the second is optimism around this upcoming new iPhone. So if you take a look at Apple services, there is this idea out there that Apple is seeing success getting people to buy into its services narrative. So this is a topic that we've talked about in the past. Apple management is becoming much more vocal in telling its services story. They even went so far as to give a financial projection four years out, saying that they could double the services business. That's a big deal, not so much for what it means financially, but Apple doesn't do that type of thing. They don't go out four years to give financial projections. At most, they give guidance three months out. The reason they did that is they want people to focus on it. Instead of just looking at quarterly iPhone unit sales, Apple wants people to look at the iOS platform and look at all of the content, all of the apps that Apple is selling, all of the subscriptions that Apple is selling and getting a cutoff. And they want people to say, well, that's also part of our business. It's not that we're becoming a services company. It's just that services is another way that we bring in cash flow. Okay, that seems to make sense on the surface. We then have the other explanation that's being thrown around, and that is that Wall Street's becoming so optimistic about iPhone sales. It now looks extremely likely that we're going to get a brand new OLED iPhone. This is the one that the home button will be removed. The screen to bezel ratio will be much larger. It seems like it's not only going to just be a big cosmetic change, but it could also be a big change in terms of the user experience. And so you have some analysts looking at this phone and saying, you know what? It's going to kick off a mega upgrade cycle. It's going to cause people to upgrade their phones more frequently than any other iPhone. I'm a little bit skeptical about that claim, but that could be a whole other episode. Instead, it just goes to show that maybe there's this optimism that has been missing from the stock. While people were thinking that the iPhone business would decline going forward, maybe we see stronger growth in the next couple of quarters, the next couple of years. However, upon closer examination, I just don't think Apple services and new iPhones are driving this outperformance in Apple stock. When you take a look at Apple services, they represent less than 15% of Apple's overall revenue. Now, one may say, well, that percentage is increasing. So check back in a couple years. It could be a lot higher. But it really isn't. Apple's hardware sales are also increasing. We have other products. That line item is seeing pretty good growth. If you look at just truly recurring revenue, if you look at subscription revenue, it's an even smaller portion of Apple's business. It's only a piece of that 15% of overall revenue. So I think it's a stretch to say that such a small piece of Apple's business drove 
what amounts to a $250 billion market cap increase in a little over a year. In my opinion, that's like Wall Street just completely buying into Apple services. That's if everyone who was very against the idea now embraces it with open arms. I just don't see that. If you then look at the iPhone, there is this expectation that there's going to be new mega upgrade cycle. Wouldn't that show in EPS estimates? Wouldn't that show an analyst increasing 2018 estimates for Apple? The opposite's occurring. While you do have a couple of analysts who are quite bullish about the new iPhone, if anything, I think it's more likely that you're going to see estimate cuts as we go forward. If you graph Apple stock price performance against iPhone unit sales growth, the recent trend really jumps out, where you have Apple stock showing very strong outperformance. This is starting mid-2016. And if you look at the iPhone business, growth's gone. You may have a quarter or two of positive growth, but then the iPhone business declines. If you're taking a look at the upcoming earnings report, management's guidance for later this year, I don't really think you're going to see huge growth in the iPhone business. So someone may say, well, maybe people are looking much further out. Maybe people don't care anymore about 2017 iPhone sales. Maybe the focus is on 2018 or 2019. And that could be true. However, I don't know if investors are necessarily expecting all of this strong iPhone sales growth. What's very interesting about all of this is that as we get rumors of iPhone supply issues and delays, look at what's going on with Apple shares. Nothing, really. <laughs> if anything, they go up. You don't have this situation that in the past, a negative story about iPhone sales or potential iPhone sales would cause Apple's stock price to fall. You don't have this period where there was so much nervousness almost in the market where anything negative about the iPhone would send the stock skidding. There's something else going on. Something has changed regarding how Wall Street is thinking about Apple. Here's my theory. I don't think the iPhone has the same kind of influence over Apple's shares as it once did. Instead, I think Apple's turned into a balance sheet optimization story. Apple's growing net cash balance, so that is cash, cash equivalents, minus the debt. The net cash has taken the place of iPhone unit sales growth as the most influential variable impacting Apple shares. Apple's net cash now stands at $158 billion. That's at an all-time high. So even after you consider all of the share repurchases and cash dividends, Apple's net cash still stands at an all-time high. I think that's what's starting to matter more and more. Now, the best way to lay out this theory in a little bit more detail is to actually compare two items. Stock price performance to the change in market cap for Apple. To the casual observer, I think they would assume that they both act pretty similar to each other. So if Apple's market cap goes up by 20%, well, Apple's stock price goes up by 20%. But that's not what's happening. 
So over at Above Avalon, I have Exhibit 3. And the trend really becomes clear. Those two items, stock price and market cap, they're on a divergent path. Apple's stock price is up 74% over the past five years. The market cap has increased just 35%. I also looked at Apple's enterprise value. So that's market cap plus the debt minus all of the cash. That's up a similar 36%. So it's not that the debt is messing with all of these numbers. So why is Apple's stock price outperforming the market cap by over two times? What's going on here? It's a sheer buyback program. This started in 2013. It became a little bit more of an impact in 2014. And in each consecutive year, it has gone to be a bigger issue. More specifically, Apple management is using share repurchases to send excess cash from the balance sheet to shareholders selling their Apple shares. What this is doing is really two things. It's reducing the number of Apple shares outstanding. And by doing that, it's giving each remaining share a larger ownership claim to all of Apple's future cash flows and earnings. Now, it's important to know, it's not that share buyback is all of a sudden creating shareholder value. Because look at what's going on. Excess cash is just moving from the balance sheet to those selling their shares. It's not like there's value being created directly from this action. Instead, what's happening is because of the share buyback program, investors are now willing to pay more for a dollar of Apple future cash flow, for a dollar of future earnings. Why is that? There's a couple of reasons. The first is, as you just said, it's a higher ownership stake. So as you use excess cash to reduce the number of shares, each remaining share now has what I like to say more of a claim to that balance sheet, to cash flow. Look at EPS. Over the past five years, Apple's earnings per share has increased 45%. If you look at operating income, so that it does not take into account share count, it's up only 15%. So EPS is up nearly three times as much as operating income. And I think as long as Apple uses excess cash and low-cost debt to buy back its shares, this trend is going to continue. This is not a near-term thing. This is not going to all of a sudden stop occurring later this year, 2018. As long as Apple continues to buy back shares, you're going to see Apple EPS outperform Apple's operating income. Turning to the second reason why Apple's future cash flows are now valued higher by Wall Street, it has to do with Apple's cash no longer being discounted. Before we go any further, I did want to point out that this particular topic does involve financial theory. And whenever that happens, I like to skip a lot of the details and instead sort of look at the top level. I, I want to keep things pretty broad. And the reason is, once I start going into details, I'm afraid I'm going to be talking about this for a half hour or for an hour. 
Now, some of you may like that. <laughs> some of you may want that. Certainly feel free to reach out if you are interested in some of that. And I will keep that in mind. And maybe in another episode, we can go much further into some of this more financial heavy discussion. But for this episode, I just really want to briefly talk about this concept of Apple's cash being discounted on Wall Street. So while it may seem counterintuitive, it's not good for Apple to hold all of this excess cash on its balance sheet. The key phrase there is excess cash. So once Apple pays all of its bills, funds R&D, spends money on M&A, they have cash that's left over. That's the cash we're talking about. For Apple, I estimate excess cash probably stands at around $100 billion or so. As time goes on and as additional cash flows flow, that number can go up. Now, why is it bad to hold excess cash on the balance sheet? Well, I think Apple's being penalized for doing it. What's happening is investors are not fully valuing all of that excess cash. And there could be a couple of reasons for that. One is that what often happens is that when investors see excess cash, they become nervous. And they think that management is going to waste that excess cash on frivolous M&A or M&A that's just going to be a disaster for shareholders. I'm kind of thinking of Microsoft as one example. But you could actually talk about a lot of tech companies when you're talking about M&A that has just been a complete disaster. There's also fears of other ways that management teams could waste that cash. There's actually fears that future management teams may do something to that cash. So this is not even concerning Luca or Tim Cook. This is how investors sort of think about it. They don't want excess cash on the balance sheet. And so what ends up happening is if you look at Apple's price-to-earnings multiple, that is the main valuation metric that's used for Apple. In the past, it's been below average. And this has caused quite a bit of a debate on Wall Street as to why that is. Some people think that it's just misunderstanding of Apple's business model. Other people say, well, Apple's actually more volatile than it may appear. Apple's dependent on hardware sales. So if hardware sales slow, that's going to impact cash flow. That's going to impact my earnings model. That should reflect in a lower price-to-earnings multiple. Again, we could probably go into this for another hour. The point is, I actually think a lot of the reasoning that Apple had a low price-to-earnings multiple is because investors just weren't interested in paying up for all of that cash on the balance sheet. Instead, they were discounting it, and that was showing up in lower price-to-earnings multiples. So by Apple taking excess cash and repurchasing shares, I think that discount is starting to unwind a little bit. And that's one reason why I think the price earnings multiple has continued to increase over the past year. The third reason why I think people are now valuing Apple's cash flows higher is there are increased expectations for additional capital management. And we did talk about this back in episode 90 when we really went into detail about Apple's stock buyback program. Simply put, 
I think people are looking at that $240 billion of foreign cash and cash equivalents, and they're starting to run some assumptions. If Washington passes U.S. corporate tax reform and Apple can bring back that foreign cash at a lower tax rate, probably 15% or so, in that case, Apple would bring all of that foreign cash back. What will they do with it? I think they would put it into share buyback. I think it's possible that Apple could even do a Dutch auction tender offer, and that would be taking a lot of this excess cash and buying back shares very quickly. So I think investors are starting to think about this more and more. It is possible that with U.S. corporate tax reform and with Apple bringing back all that foreign cash and putting into share buyback, the company could reduce its shares outstanding by another 25%. The final reason why I think Apple's future cash flows are now getting a higher valuation has to do with the shareholder base. By repurchasing shares, Apple is systematically shrinking its shareholder base. We have outstanding shares declining by 20% since Apple kicked off its repurchase program. So if you are an Apple investor and you've done nothing but just hold on to your shares for the past five years, you would have seen your ownership stake in Apple grow by 20%. And so what's going on here is that long-term shareholders who have bought into the Apple story, they're gradually becoming larger owners over time. Now, it's not so simple that, well, the top 10 shareholders are just simply going to become larger Apple holders. It's possible that some of these holders, they're not comfortable with their Apple stakes getting so large. So they may have to sell some of their shares. Maybe they want Apple to represent a certain percentage in their portfolio. However, in theory, what's happening is that Apple has to rely on fewer investors to buy into its narrative. At this point, there's a lot of information flowing around. So I want to take a step back for a minute. My theory is that Apple's access cash is gaining influence on Wall Street. What that means is that the iPhone is losing influence on Wall Street. More specifically, it's losing influence over Apple's stock price. This isn't meant to say that Wall Street no longer cares about the iPhone. Because when you look at what is generating all of that free cash flow being used for buyback, it's the iPhone. But what's happening here, I think this is the key difference. I think Wall Street has grown less concerned about the quarterly gyration in iPhone sales, about all of the details that really just don't matter. In the big grand scheme of things, there is little difference between Apple selling 200 million iPhones per year and 300 million iPhones per year. It doesn't matter if a new iPhone is delayed by a few months. It doesn't matter if iPhone sales in China are on the weak side or if Apple still sees iPhone pressure in India. Both of those countries combined represent about 20% of iPhone sales. So what that means is if iPhone sales in the U.S. and Europe remain strong, it's going to be fine for the iPhone business. That's how I think Wall Street's starting to think about this. And the reason is that access cash, the balance sheet, share repurchases, that's what's starting to matter more. 
Warren Buffett's recent purchases of Apple shares actually symbolize this, in my opinion. So right now, his stake's worth about $20 billion. He purchased this over the span of less than a year. It was a very big purchase. We have to mention that. I mean, this is not, for Warren Buffett, this is a big deal. I think his purchase symbolizes how Wall Street is thinking differently about Apple these days. Warren Buffett is on record talking about how he bought into Apple because the iPhone is such a compelling consumer product. And he had a couple of things to say, and these were from interviews with CNBC. And there's two things that really jumped out at me. And this was from May when he was talking about his Apple investments. So this is Warren Buffett. Well, the shares when we bought them at least were much more reasonable in relation to current earnings. Apple didn't have to do a lot better in the future than they were doing at the current time. That was very interesting because it tells me that Warren Buffett's not exactly expecting Apple to get so much better or stronger in the future. He's buying the current business. He is comfortable with what the business looks like today. That's another way of saying he viewed Apple's valuation as compelling given current performance. So this raises the question, well, why now? Why didn't he do that two, three years ago? And this is where he says, well, he now understands Apple's competitive landscape better. Okay. I think there's a little bit more to it, though, and he's not really saying it. I think he's looking at Apple's balance sheet. He's looking at share repurchases. He's looking at all that access cash and Apple wanting to get rid of that access cash via share repurchases. I think it's becoming too hard to ignore. And I think he looked at it and he said, this is something that I really want to be a part of. In February, he was responding to questions about Apple's market cap being too large to grow. So he bought in it. So let's say Apple's market cap at the time was somewhere around $700 billion. One person asked him, well, wait a second. You're spending so much money buying in at $700 billion. Surely you think Apple's going to be a trillion-dollar market cap company. Why else would you be buying it in? His answer caught my attention. So again, this is Warren Buffett. You could have had a lot fewer shares outstanding at some time and still do very well on a per-share basis. They bought about 4% of the company last year and have been pretty, pretty aggressive on that. So my guess is they've got about 5.25 billion shares outstanding now. My guess is that in 10 years from now, they'll have substantially fewer. So what he's saying there is he's buying Apple because he has confidence that the iPhone business it represents a good cash-generating machine that then funds aggressive share buyback. I think ultimately, he's buying into the share buyback story. Apple's story on Wall Street now revolves just as much around the company's balance sheet and cash balance as it does around the iPhone business. The final part of today's episode will go over implications from this new way that Wall Street is thinking about Apple. There are three. The first has to do with Apple earnings. We have the next Apple earnings release coming out very soon. I think Apple earnings are going to take on a different meaning going forward. It's not that quarterly earnings will matter less, because I think it's always important to get a window into Apple's current business trends. We get one every three months. It's very useful. 
a lot of what I do is possible because of Apple earnings. So I appreciate Apple's quarterly earnings. I appreciate that Apple is a public company, and I don't think that's going to change going forward. But I think the way Wall Street responds to earnings will change. I think there's going to be less focus on guidance. So if guidance is weak or strong, I don't think that's going to really do much. If Apple reports stronger or weaker iPhone or iPad sales, I don't think it's going to do much. Instead, I think the focus will be on the overall Apple story. What is going on with the broader story? This is going to require market observers to look at Apple with a longer view. I also think this is going to increase the need for those who are providing unique perspective on Apple. Because you're going to need people to assess Apple's long-term competitive positioning. The reason why that's tricky is a lot of people, they look at Apple as a tech company. And they judge Apple as a tech company. And by doing that, I think you end up missing quite a bit about how Apple thinks about the world. Instead, Apple looks to compete against companies in different ways than what would be implied as if they were a tech company. So I think that fresh and unique perspective, demand for that's probably going to go up considering this new way that Wall Street's thinking about Apple. The second implication is that the share buyback is going to continue to gain importance. I think the single biggest factor currently impacting Apple shares, it's not an upcoming new iPhone. It's not Amazon competition. It's not WeChat competition. It's probably U.S. corporate tax reform. Because that's going to impact the tax rate that Apple could potentially pay if they bring back cash to the U.S. You're talking about a lot of excess cash here. $240 billion of excess cash is currently sitting in Apple foreign subsidiaries. If they could bring that back, a lot could happen with the buyback and with balance sheet optimization. So I think U.S. corporate tax reform is a very big issue. Some of that could already be reflected in the stock, of course. But if you're looking at things that could move the stock in either direction, up or down, I would point to corporate tax reform as the item. The third implication is probably the most interesting. And that is this topic could potentially serve as a new long-term story for Apple as a public company. What's interesting about this is I still think Apple lacks a compelling business narrative on Wall Street. For everyone in the business of modeling Apple's cash flows, it's not easy to look at a company that's all about selling customer experiences and trying to figure out how that relates to cash flows. This ends up adding a lot of unknown to Apple's business narrative. Meanwhile, you look at companies like Amazon, Facebook, Alphabet. Yeah, they have unknown but those companies have easier and simpler business narratives. It revolves around non-hardware revenue. And when you look on Wall Street, there's just no evidence to suggest that people are now viewing Apple as a design company, even though I think it is. This is a company that's selling something larger than just hardware. I still don't think a lot of people think that or really kind of have contemplated that. Apple's R&D pipeline an item that is critical to Apple's future. Because again, this is a company that has a mission statement of coming up with products that can improve people's lives. That involves Apple coming up with new products as time goes on. So that R&D pipeline is crucial. There's no evidence of that being valued on Wall Street. 
So from a business perspective, Apple still lacks a narrative. So what if this whole story about the balance sheet and excess cash and sherry purchases, what if that story sort of becomes Apple's future as a public company? This idea of Apple being considered some type of an annuity with recurring hardware revenue, I don't think people are buying into it. I think there are issues with that narrative. But instead, what if Apple is considered a balance sheet stock? And so what will happen is as we go forward, the company would experience cycles based on a varying degree of sherry purchases. So those sherry purchases would, of course, be based on the company's cash flows. So maybe a quick example will go a long way. We are currently in this cycle where the iPhone is creating all of these cash flows that are now funding sherry purchases. In the future, there may be a different product that drives cash flows used for sherry purchases. It could be augmented reality glasses. It could be a transportation initiative. So regardless of Apple's product line at any particular moment, investors will remain focused more on Apple's balance sheet and cash levels. There could very well be an ebb and flow to this. There could be periods of up and down where the stock experiences underperformance or weakness because cash flow is slow. The point is that Apple's future as a public company would be one of a cash-generating machine. And that machine would support the largest share repurchase program in the world. That would represent Apple's long-term story on Wall Street. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy this type of Apple analysis and you also like the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would be very interested in becoming an Above Avalon member. Cornerstone of membership includes access to my exclusive daily email, all about Apple. So this is a 2,000-word email that's sent throughout the week. usually covers two to three stories, and we talk about everything that's impacting Apple. It can include current news events, what some of Apple's competitors are doing and how that may impact Apple. We look at my earnings model. We discuss my estimates. My ultimate goal is to look at all of these developments, all of this news from Apple's perspective, to try to understand how Apple views the world. Given that the last podcast episode was recorded a few weeks ago, I have sent quite a few daily emails since that episode. But one topic I did want to point out is I published an email all about my thoughts on new iPhone pricing and naming. So this is regarding the new OLED iPhone and also the other new iPhones that are expected. I laid out my case for what I think Apple's going to do. I think there's a certain logic here. So that's out there. That was sent on July 11th. And also there was a little bit of a carryover in the July 13th email. So I did want to point that out. So if you are already a member, you can go check that out in your inbox. If you're not an Above Avalon member and you would like to get access to these exclusive daily emails, head on over to AboveAvalon.com and go to the membership page. You can sign up to become a member. It's very easy. It's $10 per month or $100 per year. There is an archive available, so you can go back and read previous daily emails. You can see all of the headlines from the daily emails if you go to the daily emails tab 
over at AboveAvalon.com. Members also have the option of joining the Above Avalon team in Slack. That is where the archive exists, and you can also chat with other Above Avalon members. Above Avalon is 100% supported by its members, so if you are a member, thank you for your support. And if you're thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. With that, I will conclude today's episode. We will talk to each other next week.